The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic, Dynamic pet, pet Duo. Glad to be back with you. These last few weeks have been so busy for me. I have been traveling all over the place. I've been to Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Hartford, Connecticut, Orlando, Denver, San Diego, and Vegas for my Halloween TV tour. I'm glad Halloween is over. And just when I thought it was all over, I got contacted by my Fox and Friends producer for a Halloween segment on October 30th. I got to tell you, I shared pictures of my dog. That's hashtag tie the tongues, friends in costumes with their owners. And if you don't know, Fox and Friends is the number one cable news show in its time slot. Forget this, 213 months with about 1.4 million viewers each day. So, of course, we're happy to be seen by so many dog lovers and dog owners. Well, hey, let's get the show rolling right along. And I'm going to start with our Bark Worthy Countdown. So let's start with four. In segment number four, Dr. Fleck and I are sharing with Dr. David Coley about new research regarding feline scent marking. Marking is one way in which cats communicate with each other. It's kind of like their secret language. And three, <laughs> segment three, I'm talking with one of my newest gal pals. That's Dr. Laura Sipanowski from Oklahoma State University College of Veterinary Medicine about caring for aging dogs. You don't want to miss this. And in segment two, <laughs> that's where we dish about celebrity pet gossip, in particular, declassifying dogs. And in Flex Facts, we're going to talk about daylight savings time and how it can affect your pets and in one well let me just say our guest is on the phone so a few weeks ago i was doing some research about the democratic presidential candidates and their dogs i found out that from former colorado governor john hickenlooper's dog was special his dog's name is sky and unlike some of the other candidates dogs sky grew up and was reared in a prison the Colorado Correctional Industries CCI Prison Trained Canine Companion Program is an exceptional program in which we're going to learn more about from our next guest. Joining us today is Michelle Whalen, the supervisor of the program. So, Michelle, welcome to uh, the Pet Bus. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So, Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about how the program got started? So, originally, this program started in 2002. The original concept was that it was a socialization program for um, dogs being raised to be service dogs through socialization with women inmates in Canyon City. Mm -hmm. And then it evolved into a program that provided skills for the offenders that were training the dogs, and it evolved into a training program. So it really has become something of a process of redemption for not only the handlers, but also the dogs. In the so now after graduating from the program, where did the dogs go? What did they go on to do? Some of them are adopted by families with disabled or criminally ill children. Some of them go on to become service dogs. 
and many of them are just companions and well-trained pets in private homes. Okay, so let's talk about the training and the care of the dogs. Tell us a little bit about that. So when a dog comes into our program, of course, we want to make sure that they are fully vetted. Mm-hmm. But that's not done before they come into our program. We ensure that that happens. They're heartworm tested. They get microchipped, um, spayed and neutered, of course. And then they are placed with a handler. And they're with that handler in their cell, in their living unit, 24-7. So they get constant care. They're cared for from the moment they come in and they are trained, they're fed, they're on a very rigid schedule, so they have different schedules for the, the handlers to utilize group training, so they all get together, they do individual training throughout the day, and of course they get playtime as well. Wow, that's a full intensive program, sometimes a, a lot of time that people couldn't spend with a dog when they got it, so that's amazing. Right. I mean, it really is unique in that aspect. You know, if you think about if you have your own dog and you want to go on vacation and you're um, boarding them at a facility, they're not necessarily getting all that one-on-one attention. How amazing is that? Okay. So now let's talk a little bit about the selection of the prisoners who actually work on these dogs. Is there a selection process for the, the inmates? Absolutely. So what we do have some criteria. I mean, we want to make sure that they're dedicated to the program, that they're committed to changing their lives for the better. We want people who have a GED. That, and granted, now these are men and women. Mm-hmm. So when I say people, that's male and female offenders. They have to be on their best behavior in order to even be considered for the program. Um, there's an application process and an interview process. So we really want them to get the full experience of applying for a job as well as learning the skills for being a dog trainer and handler. Right. I mean, this is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. So obviously, you want to look for the best people. Now, how can a dog lover obtain a dog? Um, are only Colorado residents eligible? Anybody can adopt a dog from their, our program if they can get here. Um, <laughs> we do have a website, uh-huh. Colorado Cell Dogs. And they can view the animals, the dogs that we have up for training. And those dogs, typically, they've got at least four weeks of training. And we've been able to evaluate and assess their temperament so that we can make the best decision on what home they would be best suited to. Sure. And then we can, um, people contact our office and they set up for an interview. It's unbelievable. It's a fantastic program. So then how are the dogs matched up? Do you do, do people obviously, they see the cute pictures on the website and do they say, you know, this is the dog I'd like, you know, in the application process? Um, and then, you know, do you guys determine if it's the perfect match? Um, talk a little bit about the selection process. Cause you, you know, people will go to all, if they see, if they see the dog of their dreams, they'll go to extreme lengths. We'll go to the ends of the earth for the perfect dog. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so what we try to do when we um, have that four weeks of training on them, we're trying to create a profile. And, of course, the handler that's been utilizing that dog helps us develop a profile of what we think that dog would be best matched for, whether it's a family with kids or other dogs or an active family or maybe a more laid-back family. Um and and then when we have the interview set up, then our instructors and, in some cases, the handlers themselves are able to work with that family and talk to them about how the dog is trained and the dog's temperament 
and um, what the dog knows. And then when a decision is made to say, this is a great match for us, then um, we always provide them with a go-home class. We, as, as a matter of fact, we require that they attend a go-home class. And that's when we actually put them through the process. It's partly lecture and partly hands-on where they actually will learn how to utilize the um, the training that we've put on that dog so that they have a well-mannered dog. They know how to tell it how to sit, how to stay in its place. They learn the alphamanship rules and so that they can continue the training and that maintains the success of that dog when it gets into that home. No, I mean, it's it's fantastic. Okay, so the, the, the thousand trillion dollar question that everyone wants to know, what's the cost? to obtain a trained pet from you guys? So if you want to adopt a dog that we have trained and placed up for adoption, we call them CI dogs. Okay. Um, those are the dogs that are on the website. The adoption fee currently is uh, $550. That's again, great. That includes eight weeks of training, all the vetting. We put them on heartworm preventative. They're microchipped. They're spayed and neutered. They're, they're trained. That's the big one, right? Yeah, huge. And, um. We have some dogs, maybe if they're more specialized, if they're purebreds, the the fee may be $750. So it's a little bit more. It's still a bargain for a completely vetted, healthy, and trained dog. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us and telling us more about the Colorado Correctional Industries Prison Trained Canine Companion Program. Absolutely. To learn more about the Colorado Correctional Industries Prison Trained Canine Companion Program, coloradoci.com. Search dog program in the left margin. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a buzzworthy moment. Next up, I'm talking about nameless hero dogs. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Hey, I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed, and research shows walking at least a half an hour every day can reduce a person's risk for heart disease and other serious illnesses. So regular walking is a great way to live a long and happy life. For most dogs, an hour of physical activity each day is necessary and will help them lead healthier lives free of disease. Walking a dog does not only have a physical benefit, there are plenty of psychological benefits for both the dog and the owner. There are so many smells, sights, and sounds in the outdoors that a dog is mentally stimulated every time he or she walks out the front door. Taking a dog on a walk will also help to solidify the strong bond between you and your animal. Give your dog some positive attention by doing what he or she loves. Take your dog out for a neighborhood walk today. 
Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz. This show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. It's time for the celebrity pet dish. You know, President Trump tweeted about declassifying a picture of the dog who assisted in the mission that ended with ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the dog whose name remains classified, chased Baghdadi down a dead-end tunnel after concerns that Baghdadi was wearing a suicide vest. He indeed was and detonated the vest in the tunnel, killing himself and three children in the blast. The unnamed dog is believed to have been injured by electrocution but is now recovering a defense official said that because the dog was part of an army delta force operation the secretive special forces group that takes on high-risk missions they couldn't tell you the name of the dog so trump president trump tweeted a declassified photo of the wonderful dog for doing such a great job and the photo which shows a dog goofily gazing at a camera with his tongue out has gone viral author and retired army general mark Hurtling noted that the dog's name needs to stay classified because it can be used to identify these units which were involved in the raid. But that didn't stop Twitter users from joking about declassifying images of their pets as well. So one of my favorite pictures or tweets of declassifying a dog is from a guy named Bill and he showed a picture of his dog Skippy and it says he has prevented many UPS delivery terrorists from getting past the front porch, so I guess I'm going to declassify a picture of one of my dogs. Look out for it. Well, anyway, I'm going to put up a picture and declassify one of my dogs. So if you see the picture, do me a favor, declassify your dogs, and let's let's get a movement going. Let's get up and then just put hashtag thepetbuzz.com. And now, what you guys have been waiting for, Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! It's gonna take long. You got the time. Today I'm going to talk about daylight savings time and how it affects our dogs. You know, daylight savings times ends on Sunday, November 3rd. 2 a.m. For humans, the extra hour on daylight savings time comes to an as a great way to catch up on your sleep. But for dogs, the effects can be very different. Animals don't set their routines by the clock, as you know, and we humans like to keep a schedule. For example, dogs have their own circadian rhythm, a biological clock that helps them know when to eat, to sleep, to go potty and do everything else in their day. So when humans change the clock for the end of daylight savings time, it can really affect your dog really strongly. So here's a few ways your dog might struggle during the time and what you have to do to adjust them. So example, potty time. So many dogs need to just go outside for the potty break first thing in the morning, but you want to sleep the extra hour. Your pup might be confused and sit next to your bed waiting for you to take him out. He might even grab the leash. So don't ignore us, please, because you don't want him to go in the house. So get up and gradually adjust that hour difference in time. So eventually he gets used to a later time to go out. And of course, 
you know, same thing with your dog walker. If you have a dog walker during the day or a doggy door, most pooches like to stick to that regular potted time schedule throughout the day. So it'll take some time before they really can adjust to the new schedule. And then, of course, there's feeding time. If your dog is used to eating at a certain time, it might be a bit upsetting for him when breakfast or dinner is coming an hour late. So don't be surprised if your pet sits by an empty bowl looking at you with their best, you know, feed me, you know, those begging puppy eyes. And when the food doesn't come, he might act out and beg and chew up things and or even raid the garbage can. So it's always a good idea in the morning. Maybe you want to give him a little bit more and then gradually catch him up and then balance out the meals. Okay. And even your time together could be affected. So when you go to work, of course, you know, your dog misses you. So they're probably happy to get an extra hour with you in the morning, but they expect you to come home when the sun goes down. And then if you return an hour late, they can suffer anxiety. So stress can lead once again to unwanted behavior, including having accidents and destroying your belongings. So you can help your dog prepare for the end of daylight savings time in a way that will reduce stress or unwanted behavior. You know, in the next two weeks, just adjust your schedule by a few minutes at a time. Push back the walks each day until you can catch up with the new time. Um, feed your dog a little bit more in the morning until he gradually feels acclimated to the new time. Then balance out his meals. As I said at first, you know, come home right after work so your pup can adjust to your arriving when the sun is going down. And then gradually push the time that you arrive home, you know, later and later over the next two weeks so that you catch up on that hour. And most of all, try to pay extra attention to him when you get home. I know you're going to be tired after work, but it's important to reassure them, give them that extra comfort so they're not going to show signs of anxiety. You know, and as daylight savings time ends, make sure you ease the effects of your new schedule onto the dog. You know, enjoy the extra hour of sleep with him. You might have to take him out a little later at night, but just reduce that anxiety so that daylight savings time is the end of it is a positive experience rather than a stressful one. And most importantly, don't forget to set your clacks back before you go to sleep at night. And that, of course, is all the flex facts for the week. You're the best thing I ever had in my life. More of the pet buzz very soon. Bet you can't wait for my I likey of the week. They call me Prince like I'm royalty or something. But the places I've lived ain't no palaces. So I don't need grilled salmon or a new scratching post. Just give me a cardboard box and a can of tuna and we're good. You can even change my name. I'm cool being the kitty formerly known as Prince. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. My name is Michelle Schaefer. I'm the mom of three boys, and I'm from Haddonfield and North Wildwood, New Jersey. I met Aladdin through my work with Lilo's Promise Animal Rescue, and I foster the emaciated dogs that come into our program. Aladdin came to us. He had been dumped at the side of the road. 
He weighed about 18 pounds. He had broken bones, other wounds, and he was missing 12 teeth. He was the worst abuse case I had ever seen. The most moving experience that I've had while working with Aladdin were when we were first responders at the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. And Aladdin usually works off leash. He was on leash that night and he led me over to a very specific person. And here that man had been in the nightclub the night of the shootings. He and Aladdin shared a very special moment that really made me cry. Aladdin has changed the way I see the world in a million different ways. The main thing is to treat people with kindness and compassion. My name is Michelle Schaefer, and Aladdin and I are individuals. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet, who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple, and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. (laughs) I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie, who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian. EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Hi, I'm Brad Garrett. In 2007, the investigation of the Humane Society of the United States exposed the link between pet stores and puppy mills. Large puppy mill operations were busted in Maine, Oklahoma, Texas, and Virginia. Bottom line, puppy mills are cruel and their puppies are often sick. So do yourself a favor and go to your local shelter for your next dog. You'll get an inoculated, already fixed dog for almost nothing. So you'll not only save some money, but you'll also save a life. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And now for my I Likey of the Week. Your attention, please. I love... It's not sex, but it's close. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. We're about to enter a world, a world of wondrous imagination, not only of sound, but of mind, of things and ideas. My I Likey of the Week is... TJX Companies, which also owns TJ Maxx, Home Goods, Home Sense, and off-price retail chains, Sierra and Marshalls, all in the U.S. I like shopping for pet treats, beds, sweaters, coats, PJs, and more, including fashion-colored duty bags. Well, these stores always have a unique selection of name-brand goods, all at reasonable prices. P.S. If you are looking for holiday pet stockings, pet-themed toys, or even pet beds, TJX stores are for dog lovers. So joining us today is Dr. Laura Sibneski, an associate professor who holds the Henthorne Clinical Professor of Small Animal Medicine at Oklahoma State University. Dr. Sip, thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz today. Thank you very much for having me. Well, you know, I'm curious. Do you find that veterinarians are seeing more aging pets these days? And what do you think that is? Well, I think that it's um, multifactorial. The first one, first, my first thought is, is that 
our pet's role has completely changed in the family. So as opposed to dogs and cats, you know, living outside and sleeping on the porch, they've found their way into the beds of most of our um, clients and pet owners. So they, they have a different role. And I think that changing role, making them a member of the family also elevates our love and caring uh, approach to their health and wellness. So I think the first part of it is, is that our pet owners really want their animals to do well. They want them to live long lives. We're very, very bonded to them. So a longer life, of course, because we're a bit selfish, we want them to be with us forever. Um, so I think that as the animal's role changes, our owners are more aware um, of what's going on at home. The other thing is, is they're out, they're highly educated now. They really have a lot of information. So that helps me because they're kind of tuned in to what's going on with their pets. So the first thing is they're more willing to seek veterinary care and they hold their veterinarians to a higher standard, which I think is, that is amazing because it helps me to intervene sooner. The other thing is, is veterinary medicine has come a long way. We have um, really responded to the changing role of the pet and the family by having amazing preventative care by really impacting nutrition, preventative medicine, uh, vaccination plans, and making sure that we're seeing our aging pets sooner rather than later. How do you tell a dog is is a senior? And is there a difference between uh, smaller dogs and extremely large dogs? Well, I certainly think that in the past, actually, smaller dogs um, have always been thought to live really long lives, whereas large or giant breed dogs live short lives. Um, and I think that's, that's changed so much. I have a lot of large and giant breed dogs that are by far and away putting that thought to bed and saying, hey, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do better. We're going to age more gracefully. And I think the big thing is, is there's a lot of people that say, you know, seven years, they're considered a senior. And then depending on their, you know, small dogs are considered geriatric around 12, medium dogs at 10, large breed or giant breed dogs at nine. But I think when we look strictly at an age, and remember, age is not a disease. If we're looking strictly <laughs> at age, I think that we're kind of we're kind of missing the mark because we have to look at that individual animal. Mm-hmm. Are you aging gracefully? Are you not aging gracefully? So I oftentimes don't. I try not to look at the age because I really want just want to look at them. Because just like humans, uh, dogs are all aging differently. I can see that. Others. I can see that because I, you know, because I live in Florida. I can see that. Okay, so once they do, once our dogs do get to be seniors, um, do our Dogs require a different level of care, and how can we minimize those aging issues like arthritis and and cataracts? The first thing that we need to do is tell and just get it out there is that we start young. We start early in life to work on our preventative medicine, and the big thing across the board is addressing obesity and dental disease early on so it doesn't become an issue in the future. Okay, so... I noticed, you know, arthritis and cataracts are are some of the bigger things that you see right away. So Mm -hmm. what should we be, I mean, I know if we, if we have thinner dogs, it will definitely affect our dogs having arthritis, but what about cataracts? Well, unfortunately, most of our cataracts are inherited. So it's, it's a breed problem. So that, that is, you know, certainly there are some breeds that are overrepresented, 
With cataracts that I typically see in a general family pet practice, I typically see them secondary to a disease process, and that disease, for the most part, is diabetes. Those are kind of the ones that we see in the aging dogs, and um, cats I very rarely will see a cataract in, so I, I don't think I've seen one in a, in a good bit of time. So I guess it's a great idea to understand when you get your dog, definitely get a book and learn about preventative care throughout the pet's life and know what specific conditions come through your pet. Well, we have some questions. A few people wrote in because they knew you were going to be here talking about aging pets. So we have Debbie from Arlington, New Jersey, and she emailed us about her English toy spaniel, Jerry Lee. And those of you who know me know I have English toy spaniels and I love them. So, of course, I would pick Debbie's question out of the mix. So Debbie wanted to know if senior pets need a different diet. Well, I definitely think before you switch diet, you should always spend time talking to your veterinarian. Um, and some dogs, that they're doing really well on their diet, I don't make big changes. Um, senior diets are specifically formulated for the aging dog, so I think that the consideration to change to a senior diet is important. Um, and essentially, if we have to address an issue like obesity, arthritis, dental disease, the dietary change is going to focus in on those particular disease processes rather than putting them into a box of you're senior and you need a senior food. Okay. Now we have Jonas from Madison, Wisconsin. He tweeted that he wants you to opine about keeping his nine-year-old German shepherd fit with exercise. Tell us your thoughts. Well, I first of all believe that enrichment is essential for quality of life and exercise enrichment is is a huge part of their twilight years. Controlled, consistent exercise is essential and not making big changes. So if your dog is very used to a high level of exercise and they're not having any problems with that, then oftentimes don't change it. But I wouldn't recommend if you have a dog who saunters around the block for, you know, 30 minutes, Uh, to decide that they're going to run a marathon. So those changes have to be really um, well thought out and done slowly to accommodate, you know, an individual pet's needs. Yeah, and also I think you have to think about, I mean, he lives in Wisconsin, so walking is probably a lot easier in the summer than it is in the winter because they probably get a lot of snow. And then also if it's too hot, you know, in Florida, for example, in South Florida, it could be too hot. So all of those things have to be taken into consideration, the environment that you live in. Okay. So last, our last question comes from Bobby Feliciano from Texas, and she posted that she'd like to know about the signs of dementia in our dogs. And is it similar to humans suffering the same type of, I guess, mental deficiencies? Uh, it definitely parallels the human cognitive changes that we see in the aging brain. The big things I see in practice for our dogs and for some of our cats is essentially going to be a change in that circadian rhythm, maybe some sleep disturbances. They they wake up in the middle of the night at odd times. Sometimes they're confused or maybe do a little bit of wandering. Oftentimes you have a dog that's really well housebroken, starts to have accidents in the house. And then the big one that's always a concern for me is when they reduce their social interaction. Like if they choose to not be with the family, that's a big red flag for me because, again, that's a big part of their quality of life, and that's when we need to intervene. Great information. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Sip. If you want to learn more about Dr. Laura and taking care of aging pets, 
why don't you check out vetmed.okstate.edu. Okay, up next, we're going to talk about feline marking, the secrets of feline marking and communication. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Hey, my name is Rory Diamond. I am the CEO of Canines for Warriors. We are the nation's largest provider of service dogs for disabled American veterans. And we are asking everyone to support Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Persons Act, House Bill 3130. Absolutely critical to do this. It will require the VA to help organizations like Canines for Warriors serve our disabled veterans with incredible life-saving service dogs and to recover from post-traumatic stress. Please contact your member of Congress to support Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Persons Act, House Bill 3130. Well, welcome back. I'm petronologist Charlotte Reed. We're urban, suburban, and country here at the Pet Buzz. And now let's talk about global pet news. And now, Pet Buzz news from around the globe. So a man is facing up to five years in prison in Moscow for allegedly using a cat as a weapon to attack a police officer. The suspect, a man named Gennady Shesherbakov, reportedly had been allegedly drinking heavily and sitting on the steps outside the residence. Folks who lived in the building reported a disturbance, but when a police officer showed up and entered the property, Shesherbakov refused to cooperate and answer any questions. He is then accused of grabbing a nearby cat and launching it at the officer, while the animal reportedly clung to the officer's face, sinking its claws in. Now, can you imagine the officer and the cat on the face and the drunken guy sitting on the front steps? Well, Shesherbakov, who is not a resident of the apartment block where the incident took place, denies using the cat as a weapon and has claimed that it just jumped on the officer of its own free will. The officer who is now responding to a noise complaint from the residents was ser- I mean, seriously scratched in the face. So now Mr. Shesherbakov is facing criminal charges for violence against police officers. You know, one of the big things that we've uh, talked about here is people throwing milk and water on police officers. Imagine if people started throwing cats on them. It would be just a hot mess. Um, you know, we're a big supporter of police here at the Pet Buzz. So we encourage you to treat police officers with respect. Even though this is an international case and is taking place in Moscow, it seems that this case has been brought under Article 318 of the Criminal Code, which cites use of violence against public officials. It's not clear why it's taken a year to open this criminal case or what's happened to the cat. So if you've got some global news to share with us, post it on our social media channels so that we can share it with our listeners from around the world. 
Domestic cats, like many other mammals, use smelly secretions from anal sacs to mark territory and communicate with other animals. A new study shows that many odiferous compounds from a male cat are actually made not by the cat, but by a community of bacteria living in the anal sacs. Well, joining us today is Dr. David Coley, project scientist at UC Davis Genome Center and an author of a paper about the microbes that make chemicals for scent marking in cats. Welcome to the Pet Buzz, Dr. Coley. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Dr. Fleck. So before we get started talking about your research, can you give us some examples of cats using their anal sac secretions? And tell us why they engage in this behavior. Sure. So cats use scent and scent marking to communicate in a number of ways. They communicate for reproductive status. They communicate members of sort of in-groups versus out-groups. And they, of course, uh, use scent as a way of differentiating individuals in a group. So scent is very important to to sort of cat sociality. So are we talking about like butt sniffing? (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Okay. Or another common problem maybe is like peeing on your shoes in your closet? Uh, Well, that's different. But that tells you something maybe in that case. (laughs) (laughs) We know that you and your team recently conducted a study about these chemical compounds used for communicating and for marking. What prompted you to embark upon this study, and what did you learn? This study was initiated by a member of our group, Dr. Holly Gann. She's very interested in cat health and how cat health relates to the microbiome. And we were pursuing something called the fermentation hypothesis, which you've already alluded to, which is just this hypothesis that bacteria living in the anal glands actually produce the scent that cats use in, in territory marking. And we wanted to to test that. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Dr. David Coley about bacteria involved in feline scent marking. So you use this. You only used one cat, though, in this study, correct? Yes. And talk about some of the other roles of the individuals. I mean, it wasn't there some aerospace involved in the in the study? Christina Davis and Mitch McCartney and May Yamaguchi did all of the chemistry associated with this paper, and then in our lab. We had myself, my collaborator, Jonathan Meisen, a bioinformatician, Guillaume Jospin, who analyzed the data. And then we had two undergraduates, Adrian Chow and Pat Zhao, who worked with us for a couple of years, and they did all the growing and culturing of the bacteria as part of uh, learning how to be scientists. I mean, when I heard aerospace, I had no idea what to imagine. I was like, I had no clue. But uh, okay. No, just the chemistry. Just the chemistry. <laughs> it's always just the chem- just the chemistry, darling, just the chemistry. <laughs> so so doc, why are your findings and the research importance for feline health and the wellness and how can your research benefit cat owners? Well, I would say it's early to answer that question. This suggests that as we suspected, bacteria are really important in animal signaling, and there's all kinds of interesting ways that that could go in terms of, say, scent mitigation in you know, litter boxes or things like that. One application we're interested in is conservation, where you're trying to keep cats away from big ranches where they might get shot. So we're sort of interested in the applications of understanding more about how these scents are produced and how to make them ourselves. I would say for a cat owner, no direct applications yet. 
But what do you foresee? I mean, what can eventually happen with a cat owner? You know, for example, we see all these products in the market now, like pheromone products that help the cat's behavior. But if the cat's not really involved in the marking, it's more of the bacteria, then will those products become obsolete? Yeah, I would say it's too early to say. I mean, the cats still respond to the scent. I mean, right. they don't care that they're produced by a bacteria or a cat. It still does something. So I would say this doesn't change that, but it might give us a better understanding of how to produce and use those products. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Anything else, Dr. Fluck? Just want to think. That's all I can think of. well you know i thought this you know it's funny because i have to tell you so i was down in washington last week right i was at this this night called pet night at capitol hill and you know what i found so interesting about this event you know i kind of go because i'm interested in talking about issues and finding out new things for the show and just my own personal knowledge and to report back to the commissioner dr fleck about what (laughs) you know what he spent money to send me on this trip for and um so i talked to the cfa people and I told them about your study and they actually found it really interesting. So I'm going to send them this interview and uh, send them the research paper that's online, the link, so they can learn more about it. I mean, they were fascinated. Probably that's the most intense conversation I had all night. And I was there for like two and a half hours. Like it was just funny. Like that that's the only group who wanted to talk. And they're like, you know, because obviously they're breeding cats and they kind of want to know and. You know, one of the gals, or actually one of the guys there, believe it or not, showed a bangle. So, of course, he was really interested. He showed bangles. So you're coast to coast, California to Washington. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, at least somebody's out there tooting your horn. I also think it's interesting that we try to avoid everything about anal sacs in the practice, and you're able to study it. So somebody's doing it. It's smelly probably. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't know. We hope to expand our research and do more cats in the future and see how generalizable these results are. Well, look, we're going to let you go. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to want to get back with you, though. As your research progresses. Well, everyone, that was Dr. David Coley, project scientist at the Genome Center and author of the paper. To learn more about this study, visit journals.plos.org. Well, it's too soon to wrap up the show, but unfortunately, we got to go. But before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. Next week, we're talking about canine veterans who sniffed out mines, more about CBD and hemp products, and of course, it's Pet Cancer Awareness Month, so we're going to talk about pet cancer. We want to give special thanks to our guest, Michelle Wayland, Dr. Laura Sipanowski, and Dr. David Coley. And we always must thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And if you have a question, write us at team at thepetbuzz.com and we'll cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as our favorite streaming channels and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. Most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. 
The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests. My name is Michelle Schaefer. I'm the mom of three boys, and I'm from Haddonfield and North Wildwood, New Jersey. I met Aladdin through my work with Lilo's Promise Animal Rescue, and I foster the emaciated dogs that come into our program. Aladdin came to us. He had been dumped at the side of the road. He weighed about 18 pounds. He had broken bones, other wounds, and he was missing 12 teeth. He was the worst abuse case I had ever seen. The most moving experience that I've had while working with Aladdin were when we were first responders at the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. And Aladdin usually works off leash. He was on leash that night and he led me over to a very specific person. And here that man had been in the nightclub the night of the shootings. He and Aladdin shared a very special moment that really made me cry. Aladdin has changed the way I see the world in a million different ways. The main thing is to treat people with kindness and compassion. My name is Michelle Schaefer, and Aladdin and I are individuals.